is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Welcome. When Israel was attacked during Yom Kippur 50 years and a few days ago, they were surrounded, they were caught off guard, they were losing territory. They quickly reorganized, pushed back on every front. They took the Golan Heights. They took the Sinai Peninsula. They moved east into Jordan. Back then, the man who ran Iran was a dictator. But he was our ally, the Shah of Iran. He actually helped Israel. But we couldn't have a dictator in the Middle East, you know, under Jimmy Carter. The Shah of Iran was pressured to let the Ayatollah Khomeini to return from his five-star hotel in Europe and he returned he overthrew the Shah they took over the country they slaughtered tens of thousands of Iranians and they took our embassy staff hostage That's what Carter unleashed in the Middle East, among other things. Before Reagan was sworn in as President of the United States, the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran released the American hostages as fast as they could. Because they knew 
Reagan would bomb them to smithereens. Ultimately, the Israelis entered into various quote-unquote peace deals. The Sinai Peninsula was given back to the Egyptians. But during that battle, the Israeli army was 50 miles from Cairo. They'd crossed the Sinai Peninsula. There was nothing to stop them. Then Brezhnev, the old Brezhnev of the old Soviet Union, contacts Nixon. Because Egypt was a client state of the Soviet Union. And he says, we're going in. This has to stop. Nixon said, no, you're not going in, or we're going in. Over the years, I've talked to people who were involved in that, and they said that their bombers literally, several of their bombers, based in Germany, took conventional bombs and replaced them with some nuclear bombs. This nation was put on a full nuclear alert. Israel, which could have literally conquered Egypt and destroyed Cairo, pulled back. The Soviet Union pulled back and we pulled back. In the meantime, when that war broke off, Nixon calls in Kissinger. 24 hours. Less than 24 hours after they're under attack. And he says to Kissinger, what do the Israelis need? He tells them what the Israelis need. And Nixon says, double it. As fast as you can. I heard Biden speak today. Give a very patriotic speech. He didn't fool me. With a carrier group in the Mediterranean, perhaps a second one. And I kept listening. Okay. What else? We're going to replace their munitions with whatever they want. Okay. What else? Nothing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you a little secret? Iran is using Hamas. That's the Muslim Brotherhood. They're not even the same Muslims as the Muslims in Iran. Hamas is using its own people. Why? Because they're Nazis. They don't care. Joe Biden created this situation. Oh, he didn't create terrorism per se. He didn't create Hamas per se. He didn't even create the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran per se. He didn't create Hezbollah per se. 
But they were all in their cages, like animals. In the prior administration in this country, Donald Trump's administration, who they're trying to put in prison as I speak. Trying to put him in prison as I speak. Because Trump showed strength. He took out Soleimani, who's responsible for all the deaths and casualties of Americans in Iraq. He took out Baghdadi, the head of ISIS. He drew a real red line in Syria, and the Russians had to respect it. Obama drew a red line, and they couldn't, they couldn't pass it over and over and over again fast enough. Talk is cheap. Even stupid talk. Even incoherent talk. Biden rebuilt Iran's military. Biden put tens of billions of dollars into their bank accounts. I don't care that MSNBC has become the propagandists for the Nazis on the one hand and the Neville Chamberlain of the Biden administration on the other hand. Look at their lineup. Look at their lineup. CNN, pretty much the same thing. Pretty much the same thing. I heard Mark Warner, the chairman, the Democrat, Virginia, of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and Neil Cavuto was doing a pretty good job letting him have it. I was proud of Neil. Sometimes he and I certainly don't agree, but he was, he was pressing right there. All they can keep doing is saying the $6 billion is not available to Iran. You gave $6 billion to Iran. I don't care in what form or where it sits. When they were plotting to assassinate Mike Pompeo? When they're building nuclear weapons? Why are you giving them anything? You should be crushing their economy. But, as I keep saying, and as I'm the one who started to say, okay, great, put aside the $6 billion. What about the $70 billion? What about it, boys? What about it, Joe Scarborough? Are you the biggest punk of a whole host of punks over there at MSNBC. You are a disgrace, particularly at a time like this. Your head's so far up Biden's ass, it's coming out of his right nostril. So now, after that tough speech that we will back Israel, period. Here in Politico, U.S. calls for proportionate Israeli response while not openly setting red lines. We support Israel taking necessary and proportionate action to defend its country and protect its people, said National Security spokes idiot Adrian Watson. What the hell does that mean? We were in Afghanistan for 21 years. Was that a proportionate response? The Biden administration created this situation to begin with. They betrayed the people of Israel as they have the people of the United States. And they have suffered mightily. And we've seen it. And it's not some sick, grotesque movie. It happened and it's happening. 
So my wife, Julie, says, what does proportionate response mean? So the Israelis should behead babies? Rape women? Grab grandmothers and grandfathers and drag them over the border? Threaten to execute them? Is that what they mean at the White House by a proportionate response? Because that's a proportionate response. I want to tell you something. We're going to have a guest on the program at the bottom of the hour. And this gentleman is really with a very small group. A very small group. And he sees all the protests taking place in this country, the Students for Justice in Palestine. Every media outlet has reported what they have said and what they're doing, every one of them. At MSNBC, the Hamas wing of MSNBC, is very supportive of them. The Hamas wing, the Nazi wing, I should say, of the Democrat Party, protesting with them. Well, who are they? Who are they? I decided to take a look today. The hell is this group? Sounds like they're running a bunch of Confucius Institutes in America. Here's what they found. The Students for Justice in Palestine Network serves as the leading student arm of the BDS boycott divestment sanctions movement in the United States. They are not, as they claim, a grassroots student organization. It is a terror-affiliated anti-Semitic network that currently operates with autonomy and impunity at colleges and universities across the United States. It has adopted a policy of, quote, anti-normalization, unquote, of relations with Zionist groups and most Jewish organizations, with the exception of the equally radical anti-Zionist and pro-BDS Jewish Voice for America. And by the way, a footnote. Mr. Ramaswamy. Remember when you said Israel needs to stand on its own two feet? And the various cultures need to assimilate? Remember that, Mr. Producer? And he called me that weekend and he said, uh, what is the issue here? I said, you don't understand the Middle East. It's impossible for the cultures to assimilate. And then he went off and said it again. Students for Justice in Palestine advances their proprietary view of Palestinian justice by undertaking initiatives to isolate, demonize, and ultimately destroy the state of Israel. Many students and university administrations have treated them as a pro-Palestinian equivalent to the pro-Israel student groups such as Stand With Us, the Israel on Campus Coalition, or Hillel. However, as this monograph documents, obviously I can't show it to you on radio, it is an extremist organization that maintains affiliations with Arab and Islamic terror groups, is overtly anti-Semitic, incites hatred and violence against Jewish students, and rejects the existence of the state of Israel in any borders. Right here on our college campuses, like Harvard. You see the statement of the University of Virginia? Students for Palestine, justice in Palestine put out? It could have come from Hamas. Probably I know it did. It's been linked to terror groups and so forth and so on. I'm not done with this, but I have to take a break. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
Have you been waiting to buy gold as an investment? Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I didn't want to make a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or 401k and want to buy physical gold to diversify your investment, eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, get the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. To get your free IRA company integrity checklist today, text LEVIN to 68592. That's L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Now, I trust Augusta Precious Metals and invested myself. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company for yourself and see if you agree. To get your free gold IRA company integrity checklist today, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at Augusta Precious Metals See, we've been infiltrated. It's funny how MSNBC, CNN, and really nobody has dug into the background of this organization. Students for Justice in Palestine. It's a byproduct of the American Muslims for Palestine, an organization whose leaders were former members of Palestinian Islamist terror organizations. American Muslims for Palestine was founded in 2005 by the former leaders of three organizations, Kind Hearts, the Islamic Association for Palestine, and the Holy Land Foundation. All three organizations were implicated by the U.S. government between 2001 and 2011 for financing Hamas. Tell me, are they on the terrorist watch list? Tell me, are governors around the country doing anything about this? You know one is. His name is DeSantis. DeSantis. I'm just curious. Has anybody asked Robert Ray? Not Robert Ray. What Chris? Christopher Ray. Robert Ray's a good guy. Christopher Ray's a a real load. Anybody ask him about students for justice in Palestine? Any hearings about students for justice in Palestine? The Attorney General of the United States, do you have any problems with students of justice in Palestine? With their links directly and indirectly to terrorist operations? Have you been waiting to buy gold as an investment? Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I didn't want to make a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or 401k and want to buy physical gold to diversify your investment, eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, get the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. To get your free IRA company integrity checklist today, text LEVIN to 68592. That's L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Now, I trust Augusta Precious Metals and invested myself. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company for yourself and see if you agree. To get your free gold IRA company integrity checklist today, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at Augusta Precious Metals a ruling just came down from federal judge Matthew J. Kaxmarkey, United States District Court, so ordered. 
plaintiff, Ronnie L. Jackson, who is a representative from Texas, represented by American First Legal, versus Joe Biden Jr., President of the United States. Before the court is plaintiff's motion for leave, conduct expedited and limited jurisdictional discovery, filed on August 23, 2023. Plaintiffs claim a recent production of records shows that the United States government knew its ESF funding, that's funding in violation of the Teller Force Act, in the West Bank and Gaza was benefiting Palestinian terrorists, thereby, quote, increasing the risk of terrorist attacks against the plaintiffs and others similarly situated, unquote. And they aver that the government's admission that its activities in the West Bank and Gaza benefited Hamas suggests with reasonable particularity the possible existence of other facts currently hidden, establishing traceability. Thus, they request expedited and limited jurisdictional discovery. The reason in concert with Hamas's recent attack on Israel that killed 14 United States citizens and resulted in others being held hostage provide a sufficient basis for plaintiffs' request. Accordingly, the motion is granted. Just issued now. Federal Judge Matthew J. Karzmarek, United States District Judge. That is a big damn deal. The Biden administration funneled funds to the Palestinian terrorists in violation of the Taylor Force Act, which was passed by Congress, signed by President Trump. And the basics, very simple. No longer will American taxpayers' money flow into these terrorist operations until they swear off terrorism, which they not only have failed to do, they're doing it right now. And so when Joe Biden gets up, we have your back, Israel. It's just like when he gets up and lies to the American people. Did he say today he was going to comply with the law and cut off the funding? No, he didn't. Did he say today that he will cut off the money to the Palestinians? No, he did not. Did he say today that they will actually enforce, enforce, the existing sanctions against Iran. He did not. Did he say that they would freeze the $6 billion? He did not. But don't worry, Israel. He has your back while you're fighting for your lives. You ask the Israelis. You ask the Saudis. You ask the Egyptians. You ask the Jordanians. You ask the Moroccans. You ask the the UAE, which president do they prefer, Trump or Biden? Then ask yourself, which president do our media prefer? Despite all this tough talk, which president does Iran prefer? Which president do the terrorists prefer? Oh, they know they're going to get whacked now. But who do they prefer? Let's go to Israel, Jerusalem. Dan Diker is the president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. 
he put together and did an investigation and analysis of what the so-called Students for Justice in Palestine actually is. Dan Dyker, I want to welcome you to the show. How are you, sir? Good, good to be with you, Mark. Uh, shalom from Jerusalem in a uh, continuation of an uh, unimaginable tragedy here. Just to make one point, uh, the Taylor Force Act uh, that has not been enforced, today the Palestinian Authority is issuing millions of shekels to the over uh, 1,500 Hamas terrorists that invaded Israel and beheaded babies, murdered children using machetes, entire families. Those Hamas terrorists are being now given lifetime annuities by the Palestinian Authority in contravention to U.S. law and in contravention to Israeli law. Uh, and I just mentioned that those laws in America have not uh, been enforced properly, even though they've been passed by Congress. Completely ignored by the American media, because the American media, on the one hand, is ignorant. On the other hand, uh, pretends they're rooting for Israel, but for the most part are not. The Students for Justice in Palestine, Dan Dyke, you've done a very thorough examination, and you have provided all your sources for this. They're linked to these terrorist groups, aren't they? Yes, they are, Mark. Uh, and in fact, this has been overlooked by the main uh, media discourse in the United States since we issued two versions of uh, what's called SJP on mass by the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, fully footnoted. Uh, and in fact, the Hamas, which is little known in the United States, is a constituent member of the Boycott National Committee, which is the BDS committee that was established in 2005, 2006, in Ramallah, in the areas, uh, one of the areas under the Palestinian Authority jurisdiction. The Hamas is in the United States. The Hamas is the poster child in hundreds of campuses around the United States, including Harvard, including uh, NYU, some of the big universities across the United States. The Hamas is the poster child for what they call justice, peace, and equality uh, of the BDS movement. So they're not only murdering babies uh, in, in Israel, but they have a massive amount of support across university campuses. And they have a massive amount of support, unfortunately, in the American media, especially on MSNBC and the New York Times and elsewhere, who have not done an expose. You did all the work for them. I noticed they ignore what you did. Uh, as I say, it's all footnoted. It's... it's um, indisputable and uh you say they're a byproduct of the american muslims for palestine tell us about that that's correct in, in fact the the american muslims for palestine was founded by professor hatam bazian who actually called for a violent overthrow of the united states which which we know uh in uh, the middle east in arabic as intifada he called for an intifada in the united states he was the chairman the founder of American Muslims for Palestine, which were the refugees, the non-indicted uh, co-conspirators in the largest terror financing case in the history of the United States, $12 million that were funneled into Hamas's coffers from the United States. Uh, there were some indicted conspirators that was called the Holy Land case uh, and the um, uh, a couple of other Islamic organizations were shut down by the United States Treasury. Uh, Jonathan Shanzer of the of FDD did some phenomenal work and actually testified in Congress 
the Foundations for the Defense of Democracies is FDD, and, uh, and, and brought that out into the public discourse. However, uh, uh, Professor uh, Bazian founded not only AMP, which were the refugees of the Hamas-affiliated organizations that I mentioned, but he then founded Students for Justice in Palestine in 1992, and then the National Students for Justice in Palestine in 2010, and they are on hundreds of U.S. campuses. Uh, as a matter of fact, Mark, if you look online right now, in the last 10, 12 hours, there are calls supporting the mass extermination of Israeli children, babies, elderlies, by machetes and by uh, and mass executions by those very organizations. You can look it up right now on Google and you can find this massive support for the Hamas uh, mass murder of Jewish children and women and civilians that reach is over a thousand people, which, by the way, Mark, is 10 9-11s. If you compare the population of Israel to the population of the United States at 350 million, Israel 9 million, we suffered 10 9-11s in 24 hours. It's unbelievable, and the people who listen to this program are well aware of this. And so my next question is this. These organizations on these campuses, they're only able to be on these campuses because the presidents, the deans, the faculty want them on these campuses. They're not required to have a group linked to terrorist organizations on their campuses. And then you have, they're on 115 campuses. The University of Virginia just put out an outrageous statement the students did. So these presidents and others at these universities could actually shut this down, couldn't they? They could easily shut it down. And in fact, uh, and in fact, Hamas, which is a foreign uh, terrorist organization, so designated by the U.S. State Department, is not yet a so-called designated terrorist organization by the United Nations, as as in, as absolutely extraordinary as that is. But the the deans and the presidents of these universities uh, have not, have have under the banner of free speech, the First Amendment of the United States uh, Constitution, have decided to allow these what they call grassroots student organizations uh, to operate uh, freely, even though they support the violent. Uh, 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 public declarations of Hamas leadership, of Palestinian Islamic Jihad leadership, of Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine, a, a Marxist-Leninist organization calling for the decimation of the Jewish state, and they've been doing it for years and years and years with impunity on these campuses. You know, in this country, the communist Chinese have infiltrated our colleges and universities with these Confucius Institutes. Now we have the phony group here, the Students for Justice in Palestine, which is a front organization, so people are misled by a media in the United States that doesn't go behind these organizations, who founded these organizations, what the links are to these organizations. These are like Nazi-like college campus organizations throughout the country. They're having a big you know, event where they're pulling all their members together, and then you have these suckers on these college campuses who, who think this is some kind of a righteous group. But the giveaway is, when you are celebrating the extermination of Jews, which is what they celebrate, when you are celebrating the decapitation of babies, when you are celebrating the rape and all the atrocities that have been taking place the last four or five days in the Jewish state of Israel... Something is horribly wrong with that. And you would think the media in America 
You would think the media in America would take an interest in finding out what this group is. Now, they will now that I've had you on the show because that's the way they work. We blaze the path and then they pick it up. And when I say they pick it up, a lot of them won't. But some of them will and should. And that's thanks to your research. What else should we know about this organization? I don't know that you tell me they're not on our terrorist watch list. They're not on the they're not on the terrorist watch list and they haven't. And there's only been a couple of universities at, uh, uh, within the hundreds of universities that the, the, the students for the so-called student for justice in Palestine operate freely. They operate the annual apartheid week that should that could be called the annual uh, Israel Nazi week. It's the exact same idea in politically correct nomenclature because apartheid has become uh, as, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, in the American discourse, as American as apple pie, when referring to the one small uh, Jewish and democratic state. And this is what we have uh, felt at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs in doing all this research has been overlooked uh, and university presidents ill-advised to allow this type of behavior. The Nazi and Soviet conspiracy theories run wild across these campuses and are, in fact, my own alma mater, Harvard University, has, uh, has even allowed the student organizations to fund the annual Israel Apartheid Week under the banner of free uh, and peaceful assembly, uh, while essentially calling for the decimation of the Jewish and democratic state, which you and I and the rest of America and the rest of the world has just seen that Hamas is an ISIS lookalike and has acted with the same brutality as ISIS and other medieval uh, mass murder uh, organizations. It's, it's, a, it's really the night of the living dead has come to Israel and the night of the living dead continues to operate uh, with glee and with great fervor across hundreds of U.S. campuses today supporting the Hamas's call for murdering Jews and destroying Israel. It's absolutely And by the way, I just interrupt now because I have a hard break. Your report is on my social sites. It'll be on my website, America, all my social sites. And uh, I want to thank you for all the work that you folks did and put into this. And uh, I hope, I hope some media out there will hear about it, but there's tens of millions of you out there. You can spread the word too. Dan Diker, thank you, my friend. We appreciate it. Be safe. Thank you ever so much. JCPA.org. All the information is there for your viewers. It's free to download, and we'll be delighted uh, to have your support and uh, your interest in JCPA, Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. And thank right. you, Mark. Uh, we'll put a link on, on that, Mr. Producer, on all of our social platforms, if you don't mind. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you been waiting to buy gold as an investment? Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I didn't want to make a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or a 401k and want to buy physical gold to diversify your investment, eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, get the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. To get your free IRA company integrity checklist today, text LEVIN to 68592. That's 
That's L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Now, I trust Augusta Precious Metals and invested myself. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company for yourself and see if you agree. To get your free gold IRA company integrity checklist today, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at Augusta Precious Metals. Proportionate response. Well, our man, Joel Pollock, dear friend over at Breitbart, he looks at the law. So they're going to talk about proportionate response. We should know what that means, right? For the media, it means Israel losing. For the Biden administration, it means Israel taking a massive hit but not ultimately defeating Hamas. Because I have a story here now, remember? Proportionate, and now we have Reuters. The U.S. is talking to Israeli officials and others about the idea of safe passage for Gaza civilians after Israel's airstrike following a deadly... How is Israel supposed to do all this? Look, defend yourselves, but make sure there's safe passage for Gaza citizens. And how do you do that if you don't control Gaza? How do you do that when they're slaughtering your own people and your own soldiers? Have you ever heard anything like this? Hey, look, 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 America and Britain, make sure there's safe passage for the Germans in Dresden, okay? Make sure there's safe passage. Well, how are we supposed to do that? We're in the middle of a damn war. Now we're on a damn war on two fronts, maybe three. No, no, you don't understand. It has to be proportionate. I'm going to read this to you when we come back. It's very important. What Joel Pollack has, has written about over at Breitbart, one of my favorite sites. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you want to understand the Democrat Party and why we're in these positions? Why the border is wide open? Notice Biden didn't say anything about addressing that. I addressed that on Saturday on Fox. I addressed the $70 billion in oil sales on Fox. I began calling what the media were calling Gaza fighters. Palestinian militia. No, they're Nazis. That's why you listen to this show, I believe. The Democrat Party hates America. Now more than ever, America. Grab your copy on Amazon.com. It's very simple. It's still only a little over 17 bucks. Grab your copy. Please understand what's going on in our country and other countries. I don't know what else to say. It's right there. The Democrat Party hates America on Amazon. Be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. By the way, America, I heard this guy, Bob Good, out of Virginia, one of the eight boneheads, who put us in a terrible position, and... Voted against cutting spending, voted against a stronger border. 
and beat his chest that he's a conservative and he's really sick of what's going on. He's on TV again. I don't know why they use these guys. The guy hasn't done a damn thing for this country while in Congress. He's barely been in Congress. He gets all this attention, and that's the problem. With our media, too. That's the problem. All right, I want to move on. I touched on this yesterday about this AP reporter. This is from Unfreedom of the Press. Maddie Friedman, former AP correspondent who covered Israel for a time, explained the modus operandi of most of her former journalist colleagues when reporting about Israel. The books I write have lasting meaning, America. That's why I keep encouraging the Democrat Party hates America. I had somebody come up to me literally at the gas station today. Couldn't stop talking about the book. (laughs) It was amazing. But then that individual made it very clear that now he understands why we're in the pickle we're in. But I want you to listen to this. On November 30, 2014, she wrote an article in The Atlantic titled, What the Media Gets Wrong About Israel, The News Tells Us Less About Israel Than About the People Writing the News, says this former AP reporter. Freeman wrote, journalistic decisions are made by people who exist in a particular social milieu, one which, like most social groups, involves a certain uniformity of attitude, behavior, and even dress. The fashion these days, for those interested, is less vests with unnecessary pockets than shirts with unnecessary buttons. These people know each other, they meet regularly, exchange information, and closely watch one another's work. This helps explain why a reader looking at articles written by the half-dozen biggest news providers in the region on a particular day will find that though the pieces are composed and edited by completely different people and organizations, they tend to tell the same story. Sound familiar? So does this. Quote, in these circles, she writes, in my experience, a distaste for Israel has come to be something between an acceptable prejudice and a prerequisite for entry. She says, I don't mean a critical approach to Israel policies or to the the government currently in charge, but a belief that to some extent the Jews of Israel are a symbol of the world's ills, particularly those connected to nationalism, militarism, colonialism, and racism, an idea quickly becoming one of the central elements of the progressive West zeitgeist. Spreading from the European left to American college campuses and intellectuals, including journalists. And in this social group, she writes, remember, she was an AP reporter reporting on Israel in the Middle East. This sentiment is translated into editorial decisions made by individual reporters and editors covering Israel. And this, in turn, gives such thinking the means of mass self-replication. And I ask, have you ever wondered how the terrorist group Hamas received so much favorable coverage in the American and international press? Friedman explains, remember this is unfreedom of the press, this is many years ago. She said, most consumers of the Israel story don't understand how the story is manufactured, but Hamas does. Since assuming power in Gaza in 2007, the Islamic resistance movement has come to understand that many reporters are committed to a narrative wherein Israelis are oppressors and Palestinians passive victims with reasonable goals and are uninterested in contradictory information. 
recognizing this, certain Hamas spokesmen have taken to confiding to Western journalists, including some I know personally, she says, that the group is in fact a secretly pragmatic outfit with bellicose rhetoric and journalists eager to believe the confession and sometimes unwilling to credit locals with the smarts necessary to deceive them have taken it as a scoop instead of spin. In Gaza, she writes, this goes from being a curious detail of press psychology to a major deficiency. Hamas's strategy is to provoke a response from Israel by attacking from behind the cover of Palestinian civilians, thus drawing Israeli strikes that kill those civilians, and then to have the casualties filmed by one of the world's largest press contingents with the understanding that the resulting outrage abroad will blunt Israel's response. She says this is a ruthless strategy and an effective one. It is predicated on the cooperation of journalists. One of the reasons it works is because of the reflex I mentioned. If you report that Hamas has a strategy based on co-opting the media, this raises several difficult questions like, what exactly is the relationship between the media and Hamas? And has this relationship corrupted the media? Then I write, as recently as 2018 in May, the media reporting Hamas's aggressions against Israel was so distorted that America's ambassador to Israel, David Freeman, felt compelled to publicly author an opinion piece condemning the press. 2018. He wrote in part that, for weeks, Hamas has been pursuing a direct and unambiguous operation against Israel. On Fridays, if they're stirring up emotions at weekly prayers, it incited waves of Gaza residents to violently storm the border with Israel, hoping to break through and kill Israeli citizens and kidnap Israeli soldiers. In addition, given the likelihood that these malign efforts would fail, Hamas also created kite bombs painted with swastikas that it launched in Israel's direction when the winds were favorable. Some 60 Gazans, the overwhelming majority of whom were known Hamas terrorists, lost their lives because Hamas turned them into a collective suicide bomb. They were neither heroes nor the peaceful protesters they were advertised to be, at least not before the liberal media entered the scene. Ambassador Freeman was so disgusted with the newsroom antics and dishonestly he blew the whistle on them. He wrote, Desperate for a narrative to discredit the president's decision to move our embassy to Jerusalem. They broadcast the opening ceremony in a split screen simultaneously displaying the Gaza riots and condemned the insensitivity of the ceremony's participants to the carnage that seemed next door on TV, but which in actuality was occurring 60 miles away. The next day, the liberal media vilified everyone associated with the embassy move and glorified the poor Hamas terrorists. Failed diplomats who never brought peace or stability to the region were pulled out of mothballs to regurgitate their calcified thinking. And the most deranged even accused the administration of having blood on its hands. Tellingly, not a single pundit offered a less lethal alternative to protecting Israel from being overrun by killers or its soldiers from being within range of pistols, IEDs, or Molotov cocktails. Then I write, on Christmas Day in 2018, the New York Times published as news an event by the Lebanon-based Iranian-backed terrorist group Hezbollah, intended to portray the killers in a kumbaya moment. It was a perfect piece of propaganda in the New York Times. Their news story, so-called, set the stage this way, quote, the Iranian 
cultural attache stepped up to the microphone on a stage flanked by banners bearing the faces of Iran's two foremost religious authorities, Ayatollah Khomeini, founder of the Islamic Republic, and Ayatollah Khomeini, the current supreme leader. To the left of Ayatollah Khomeini stood a twinkling Christmas tree, a gold star gilding its tip, angel ornaments and miniature Santa hats nestled among its branches, fake snow dusted, fake pine needles. This is the New York Times. Today we're celebrating the birth of Christ, the cultural attache, Muhammad Mehdi Sharami, announced into the microphone in the 40th anniversary of the Islamic Revolution. Hallelujah! Boomed another speaker, Elias Hachim, reciting a poem he had written for the event. Quote, Jesus the Savior is born, the King of Peace, the Son of Mary, he frees the slaves, he heals the angels, protect him. The Bible and the Quran enhance. We're celebrating a rebel, proclaimed a third speaker, the new mufti of the Shiite Muslims of Lebanon, the rebel in question being Jesus. The Hezbollah, as Hezbollah compares its wanton terrorist bloodlust against the Jews with the life of Jesus and the birth of Christianity. And the mufti's novel religious and political thinking, says the New York Times, is not novel at all. It is a purposeful act of propaganda aimed at the New York Times and its ilk and in its works. The Times editorialized favorably within the news columns, and it goes on. The New York Times has been in the back pocket of the Nazis, the back pocket of Hezbollah, the back pocket of Hamas, and it will lead the charge, and then most of the rest of the media will follow as it uses propaganda to turn Israel into the vicious, overpowering government with a bloodlust. Because that's what they do. As the Israelis bury their dead. If they can find them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I have to tell you something that speaks to the very core of our values as Americans. About a veteran-owned company on a mission to make a real difference in the lives of our military members. And of course, I'm talking about our great sponsor, Pure Talk. I absolutely love what they're doing. Our veterans gave everything to protect our nation. And Pure Talk understands the sacrifices they've made. Now, they've set an ambitious goal to eliminate $10 million in military debt by Veterans Day. But they can't do it alone. They need your help. When you switch to Pure Talk's lightning-fast 5G network, they'll donate a portion of every new order to this no cause and you can make a real difference just by choosing superior cell phone service and pure talks plans started just 20 bucks a month offering unlimited talk unlimited text more data and a mobile hotspot just go to puretalk.com slash levin l-e-v-i-n and make the switch let's rally together show our unwavering support for our veterans get the best service at the best price as well visit puretalk.com slash levin puretalk.com slash l-e-v-i-n and switch to pure talk today in less than 10 minutes it's the right move and it's the American way. Congressman uh, Mike Waltz is a combat veteran, unlike most of the people who are talking about these terrorist acts that have taken back. Welcome, Congressman. I'm, I'm already seeing on MSNBC and CNN and in some of the print media the effort to limit Israel's ability to destroy this enemy. The Biden administration, while Biden gives this speech, 
And on the other side of his mouth, his administration is saying proportionality, um, trying to tie their hands. They're also trying to negotiate with the Israelis in advance of a ground offensive, how to get Gazian citizens out. Now, Congressman, it is not possible for Israel to do all these things. They don't control Gaza and win a war, is it? (laughs) Yeah, Mark. Uh, you know, you and I know how this is going to play out. Uh, Israel is going to go do what it's going, what it must do, what it has to do in Gaza, and what the Israeli people expect the IDF to do. Uh, but I promise you, sadly, within, you tell me, within what, maybe a week, if not sooner, of Israel being on the ground. Uh, you are going to start to see all the anti-Semites in the U.N. start to squawk. Then you're going to see the EU get weak need, And then you're going to see the Biden administration start to talk about a ceasefire and proportionality and all of those things. And look, they already showed their true colors uh, from the U.S. Office of Palestinian Affairs and, and the tweet that they deleted and, and Blinken as well when he said he agreed with Erdogan. Uh, that we we need to talk about de-escalation uh, in ceasefires, which he since then deleted. So we know uh, where uh, this administration already wants to go, uh, and and you know, like I said, they're, it, they're already saying the quiet part out loud. Let's talk about the out loud part they said out loud. I was watching Biden today, very patriotic. Everyone notices he never mentioned Iran. His administration continues to say, well, we believe Iran's a bad actor. We can't prove they're behind it. Even though Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran have said Iran was behind it, I guess they need more proof than that. Now, all that said, Congressman, we're not cutting off their oil. That is, we're not going to enforce the oil embargo that's been placed on them. Quite the opposite. They have $70 billion because we wouldn't. They're not freezing the $6 billion. They're not stopping the hundreds and hundreds of millions going to the Palestinians. We just had a federal judge, you may, you may not have heard this, order as a result of uh, the case in which Ronnie Jackson is the petitioner, but it's brought by America First Legal, and my wife Julie was even working on that case. Mm. That said they're violating the Taylor Force Act, which means money, our taxpayer money is going to Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, and they're killing people, and the judge ruled, you're right. That's what we have so far, and their demand, and the judge is going to now oversee a motions trial, I guess, in which they're demanding more information about where this money went. We are funding terrorists and terrorist regimes, are we not? Oh, absolutely, Mark. Uh, it, it, you laid out what you would have hoped uh, Biden would have announced, or any president with a spine uh, that's coherent. Uh, I would have added to, to your excellent list Um, I would have added to that demanding that Qatar extradite Ismail Haniyeh, the leader of Hamas, who is literally sitting in a five-star hotel in Doha, Qatar, cheering this whole thing on uh, as he's probably having uh, some some chai or latte with his Iranian handlers. Uh, So there's there's so much more he should have done. Uh, There's also there's not just refreezing the six billion, the hostage money. And literally all they have to do, uh, Mark, is 
pull back the assurance letters that they gave to the international banking system. They gave these uh, these banks what they call assurance letters saying sanctions won't apply to the $6 billion. They can pull that right back. It's refrozen. They can also stop the waivers of the $10 billion on top of that $6 billion mm-hmm. that's going uh, that, that are waivers for Iraq and other countries to buy Iranian oil. There, we already know that there's $30 billion a year from Chinese purchases of uh, Iranian oil. And then something else that nobody is talking about is the $7 billion line of credit that they have from the IMF. Those are all things that we should have heard Biden talking about. Those are all things that we could do right now. Uh, and uh, But yet we didn't even hear Iran come out of his mouth. At the end of the day, Iran is the head of the snake, Mark. Iran has declared war on the West. They've declared war on democracy. They've declared war on peace. They absolutely hated and were existentially threatened by the Abraham Accords. Uh, And I firmly believe that Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, saying to Brett Baer, we are this close, which would have mean all of the Gulf Arabs would have been aligned with Israel, which would have been absolutely historic, was the final straw that they unleashed their foot soldiers uh, and this is, I mean, Israel, Gaza, uh, Lebanon, those are all battlefields for Iran's war on Israel and the United States. And until we acknowledge that, till we declare it, till we hear it from a commander in chief, this is just going to continue. And on top of this, they're going to get nuclear weapons and Biden's not going to do a damn thing about it. He's not going to do it. He's, he is done the opposite. He's made it easier for them to get nuclear weapons. We've used the statistics on this program before. Um, And and can you imagine them with nuclear weapons, blackmailing, threatening, maybe using, and not just in the Middle East, but us? Look, the thing that, well, one could only imagine what they're going to do under a nuclear umbrella, much less use them. Uh, and, and if they would, as they are absolutely promising to do, to literally wipe Israel off the face of the earth. But the thing, I mean, I say this over and over again, the thing the regime cares about the most, clearly not its own people, uh, is its power, is its wallet. Uh, and we have to go back to maximum pressure. We have them at less than 200,000 barrels a day just a few years ago. Now they're up to a five-year high of four million barrels uh, a day. We've Congressman, go if you can, wallet, I'd like to hold, we have a hard break. Hold on now. We have a hard break. I want to get back to you. If you have a moment, we'll come right back to you. I'll be right back. I have to tell you something that speaks to the very core of our values as Americans, about a veteran-owned company on a mission to make a real difference in the lives of our military members. And, of course, I'm talking about our great sponsor, Pure Talk. I absolutely love what they're doing. Our veterans gave everything to protect our nation, and Pure Talk understands the sacrifices they've made. Now, they've set an ambitious goal to eliminate $10 million in military debt by Veterans Day. But they can't do it alone. They need your help. When you switch to Pure Talk's lightning-fast 5G network, they'll donate a portion of every new order to this no 
global cause. And you can make a real difference just by choosing superior cell phone service. And Pure Talk's plans start at just 20 bucks a month, offering unlimited talk, unlimited text, more data, and a mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N, and make the switch. Let's rally together, show our unwavering support for our veterans, get the best service at the best price as well. Visit puretalk.com slash Levin, puretalk.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and switch to Pure Talk today in less than 10 minutes. It's the right move, and it's the American way. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Congressman Mike Waltz, the Democrat Party in America has a problem that it will not address. Pelosi wouldn't address it, Hakeem Jeffries, Joe Biden, Schumer. They have a Marxist wing within their party that is thoroughly anti-Semitic. They call themselves the Democratic Socialists. That's the organization that backs them. They are thoroughly anti-Semitic. And they represent the Hamas wing of the Democrat Party. And, you know, President Biden, again, in a generality, he talks about anti-Semitism, then he talks about Muslims, and then he talks about no, 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 no. But he won't call out his own party. He won't call out the squad, and there's more than the squad. He won't call out the anti-Semites uh, on our college campuses. And so He's a coward, isn't he? <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, Mark, I call the, the squad the Hamas caucus uh, mm-hmm. because that's, that's like what they've it. become. And, I mean, just how, you know, how ironic, how moronic is it to have uh, Tlaib standing there next to a Palestinian flag and also next to a, a gay pride flag, flag uh, knowing how ethnic minorities, knowing how they, you know, anyone um, LGBTQ is treated uh, by Hamas, by Hezbollah, by all of these terrorist organizations. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. But what is so disturbing to me is when you see polling of 18 to 25 year olds that are coming off of these uh, indoctr- coming out of the indoctrination that's going on in our college campuses by the Democratic Socialists, and they're showing 40 to 50 percent support uh, for these terrorists at the same time wanting to have some type of activism for all of these other things that the terrorists are absolutely against that the terrorists would execute them for. Uh, if if they dared step foot into Gaza spouting this stuff, it's just uh, it, it 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 doesn't make any sense. It's moronic, and uh, and you're absolutely right. Uh, the the leaders of the Democrat Party just don't have the guts to call it what it is, uh, which is anti-Semitic, uh, and and this is just terrorism and it's pure evil. And then we have the narrative beginning. It's starting with the liberals and the media and elsewhere, leftists, that maybe this happened because of Netanyahu, you see, because he wanted to have these reforms put in his country, even though he and his coalition were elected for these reasons, and these reforms, you know, were so horrific that he actually wanted to reintroduce democracy in his country, challenging a judicial oligarchy. So Ehud Barak, who was a failed prime minister, almost gave the whole country away under Clinton to Arafat. Uh, he's organized this effort to undermine the elected government in Israel. He's organized the effort with enormous sums of money, not just in Israel, but coming from billionaires in the United States and Europe. Uh, 
And they work closely with the Biden administration. That's one of the reasons Biden refused to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu, the, the elected leader of the country. And so they try to tear the country apart. They were talking about a civil war. They enlisted some of the IDF generals. They enlisted some of the intelligence leaders and so forth and so on. And, and so, you know, their enemies look at this. Their enemies look at this and they say to themselves, okay, look at the Washington administration. Look at what these people are doing to the elected government in Israel, and among other things, you talked about Saudi Arabia and Israel and so forth. So for them, the stars lined up. For the Nazis, the stars lined up. And it is amazing to me that the Democrat Party in this country, that the Biden administration, and that the radical left in Israel takes no responsibility for anything. Now, I'm not saying responsibility for terrorism and the atrocities, but for weakening Israel and showing that to their evil outside enemies, no? No, well, and, and, and then on top of that, as we were just saying, by not calling out anti-Semitism, you're normalizing it, particularly on, uh, on our college campuses when you have people chanting, literally chanting, gas the Jews, uh, and that's not uh, called out. Uh, it's just, it's, it's disgusting, Mark. I had the opportunity to sit down when we visited Israel uh, earlier this year with uh, the prime minister, and he walked us through how he was working through their legislative process, their constitutional process, uh, that, you know, the oligarchy that was and is uh, their judicial uh, their judicial system. But you're going to decry that as anti-democratic, uh, <laughs> as you said, that they were elected to do. I mean, people voted uh, for for him and his coalition government. His two top priorities were judicial reform. You may disagree with it, but you don't get to then call that an apartheid state or anti-democratic. And then two, transformative peace uh, with Saudi Arabia. Those were those were the man's two top objectives. And then to hear these activists hypocritically calling him out, uh, I don't see Tlaib calling out the Iranian regime for shooting schoolgirls. I don't see them calling out the regime for literally hanging people in the street if they dare protest. I don't see the abuse of women on a systematic, regular basis getting called out by these terrorist governments. I mean, Mark, I've literally seen uh, Islamic extremists. Uh, they call themselves the Taliban, but they're really all the same. Machine gun a girls' school with the little girls in it. I don't see that being that type of behavior being called out. If you want to talk about evil forces that are anti-democratic, that's where they need to be loud and proud. But instead, they want to go after an elected prime minister who is working through a process to reform their judiciary and wants peace in the Middle East. And, and all I'm going to continue to do is call them out at every step of the way, because it's just, as I said, it's the whole thing disgusts me. Congressman is an Iraqi, excuse me, as an Afghani war veteran. How many years were we in Afghanistan? 20, 21? 20 years. Okay, 20 so years. Israel, Israel may take Israel several months to take care of business. I don't think they'll be fighting that war with this particular terrorist group for 21 years. But they do need some time. And the problem is, in the United States, that's time for the 
anti-Semites, that's time for these other groups, that's time even for the Democrat Party that has always hated Netanyahu and has tried to undermine his administration to organize a massive propaganda campaign, which is what they always do. And so you and I and others who, who believe in liberty, who believe in our alliance with Israel, who believe that the enemy are the terrorists who's, who've attacked us over and over again and so forth and so on. We need to stand up to this, don't we? <laughs> well, uh, we are standing up and we'll continue to stand up, Mark. Yeah, you're, you're right. And we need to support Israel as they head into what is going to be a brutal, difficult and long uh, and long fight. Uh, my fear uh, is you're going to see a hostage chain to every single military target. Uh, I do expect I, I do expect some type of deal uh, to be cut. I hope we can at least get the women and children out. Uh, but they're going to go in hard. Uh, and, you know, the other shoe that I'm waiting to drop is the northern front. No, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I fear that they're going to get bogged down in street-to-street fighting, uh, which is going to be difficult. The most vulnerable part of a tank is from the top. And those high-rise buildings are going to give a lot of opportunity, and then they have those massive tunnel networks. And you know, I was able to visit the uh, the Iron Dome headquarters. Their mo is to completely overwhelm the Iron Dome, literally make it run out of uh, of bullets with dumb rockets, and then follow it up with precision-guided missiles that Iran uh, has provided to go after Israel's critical infrastructure. But take a step back. Uh, right now, Mark, and Putin is happy. He has a second front. The Ayatollah is happy. He'll trade proxy casualties for his foot soldiers in, in Gaza and Lebanon all day long for Israeli casualties. And China's happy because they're all too, they're all too pleased uh, to see us, uh, you know, get, from their perspective, bogged down helping uh, Israel. So uh, this is this is this unholy evil trinity that is running circles around the Biden administration right now uh, that has a bunch of academics who are are feckless and weak. And our adversaries see this and they're taking full advantage of it. All right. I know you have these uh, speaker votes or whatever is going on there. I have deep resentment for these eight people who claim to be conservatives who are not conservatives. I've looked at their background. I've looked at what they've done. But they sure as hell get a lot of TV time as a result of it. And I want to thank you for your service to the country and your service now, Mike Waltz. You take care of yourself, and I'd love to have you back. Mark, and the military, uh, we call this a circular firing squad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just remind everybody that the, the enemy is outside the wire, and they have shown their evil face. That's what we should be focused on. So I'll do everything we can to get our act together here so that, that we can fight the true enemy abroad. Thanks, Mark. All right. God bless you. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I have to tell you something that speaks to the very core of our values as Americans. About a veteran-owned company on a mission to make a real difference in the lives of our military members. And of course, I'm talking about our great sponsor, Pure Talk. I absolutely love what they're doing. Our veterans gave everything to protect our nation, and Pure Talk understands the sacrifices they've made. Now, they've set an ambitious goal to eliminate $10 million in military debt by Veterans Day. But they can't do it alone. They need your help. When you switch to Pure Talk's lightning-fast 5G network, they'll donate a portion of every new order to this 
cause. And you can make a real difference just by choosing superior cell phone service. And Pure Talk's plans start at just 20 bucks a month, offering unlimited talk, unlimited text, more data, and a mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N, and make the switch. Let's rally together, show our unwavering support for our veterans, get the best service at the best price as well. Visit puretalk.com slash Levin, puretalk.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and switch to Pure Talk today in less than 10 minutes. It's the right move, and it's the American way. So I was mentioning that our buddy Joel Pollack over at Breitbart, I never forget, he write here, proportionality, why international law gives Israel a freer hand against Hamas. The coming days there will be claims that Israel is inflicting disproportionate casualties on Palestinians in Gaza. His response to the terror attack by Iran-backed Hamas Nazis this weekend, of the Jewish holiday. Activists and analysts will compare casualty figures in Israel, now passing 1,200 dead and thousands more wounded with casualty figures in Gaza. Already, radical left-wing kooks have tried to equate the numbers of dead on each side. Such comparisons overlook the fact that Palestinian terrorists targeted civilians, who account for the majority of the Israeli dead, while the Israeli military is targeting terrorists, were typically the vast majority of Palestinian dead, although they hide among the civilians. Hamas and other Palestinian terror groups use civilians as human shields, hiding weapons, fighters, and infrastructure in civilian buildings, so that even if Israel attacks these sites, Palestinians claim a propaganda victory. And they're there at the New York Times, ready to take notes. Palestinian deaths will continue to rise as Israel invades Gaza to attack Hamas and rescue their citizens. Israeli casualties will likely stop climbing, provided Hezbollah does not open a second front by attacking from Lebanon. That will lead to the claims that Israel is killing disproportionate numbers of Palestinian civilians, but that is a false use of the doctrine of proportionality in international law. Under international law, while civilian casualties are to be avoided, they may be lawful in wartime if the number of deaths is proportionate relative to, ready, the legitimate military goal, not to the number of deaths on the other side. This war is different from past conflicts between Israel and Hamas. Before Israel's military goal was to stop and deter Hamas attacks on Israeli cities. Now the goal is to remove Hamas from Gaza. A legitimate goal. Though it will be harder to achieve, in fact brutal, and will result in more deaths. Those brave Israeli soldiers. Ultimately, responsibility for Palestinian civilian deaths rests with Hamas and Iran. To launch this conflict, Israel will likely do what it has done in the previous conflicts, call off airstrikes where civilians are spotted, warn residents of imminent missile strikes, and place its own soldiers at risk rather than wipe out entire areas. Although we did that, World War II, and I think Israel may just have to resort to that. But in terms of international law, Israel has far more leeway than it did before, though its critics will claim otherwise. That is Joel Pollack over at Breitbart. Governor DeSantis today, this guy is the real deal. Whether you want to vote for him or not, this guy is solid as a rock. Not to offend, but to tell the truth. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis 
announced that the state would be increasing sanctions against Iranian businesses after the country celebrated the attacks on Israel conducted by Palestinian militants. This is from The Hill. The Iranian government rejected allegations that assisted Hamas with its preparation for the... Oh, well, we'll rely on the Iranian government to tell us what it's doing. Oh, sure. Sure. DeSantis was joined by members of the Florida legislature and leaders of the Jewish community at the Shula Bar Harbor, a synagogue in Surfside, to introduce his new proposal. He said the proposal shows that as we stand with Israel, we sanction Iran. Introduced in the next legislative session, the proposal will increase sanctions on Iran and block Iranian businesses in the state of Florida. Our proposed legislation will, of course, reinforce Florida's commitment that we don't do business with state sponsors of terrorism, such as Iran. He said it's going to expand the prohibition on state investment in Iranian businesses to include the financial, construction, manufacturing, textile, mining, metal shipping, shipbuilding, and port sectors. And this builds on the DeSantis bill that he signed in May that restricts property ownership for citizens from China, Cuba, Venezuela, Syria, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. This guy's the real deal. Real deal, Ron DeSantis. We salute you. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, We're seeing pictures out of Gaza. Where are these pictures coming from? They're coming from the Nazis. Are there American journalists in Gaza right now? No. British? No. French? No. Italian? No. So where are these videos and pictures coming from? They are fed to the media by the Nazis. That's where they're coming from. I read to you that piece by Matty Friedman. It's actually a he, I apologize. And Matty Friedman wrote, I didn't read you the entirety of what he had written. I put part of it in on Freedom of the Press. We know in this country the press is not to be believed. Oh, there's certain outlets, yes. Certain reporters, yes. But Israel cannot defeat Hamas once and for all and not defeat Hamas once and for all. And I don't know why one Israeli should spill a drop of blood. A drop of blood. trying to make sure that the enemy goes unharmed or that they only get quote-unquote the right person. Now what I'm saying will sound heretical to so many, particularly the pro-Biden and pro-Hamas part of the media, not always the same by the way, But that was official United States policy during World War II. 
American soldiers were not required to go door-to-door unless they needed to go door-to-door for tactical reasons, not humanitarian reasons. There was no debate after we attacked on Pearl Harbor about how many enemy casualties there would be. No debate whatsoever. How many enemy casualties would there be in Japan? How many enemy casualties will there be in Germany? How many enemy casualties will there be in Italy? We call it the greatest generation because it is and was. Since then, we don't appear to know how to fight wars. You know, when Nixon did the Christmas bombing of Hanoi and Hanoi Harbor for 10 days, B-52s, relentless, 24-7. The North Vietnamese and their Viet Cong militia wouldn't come to the table to negotiate. After 10 days, they begged to come to the table. What that demonstrated was we could have won in Vietnam. But we didn't. Not because of the brave men who fought. We lost 58,000 of them. But because the way we fought. doesn't matter how many soldiers you pour into a fight, a battle. When you have the capacity to destroy their capital. The capacity to destroy everything. And you choose not to. It was really the. I'd say Korea and then Vietnam were really the first wars. They're not fought to win. My opinion. And most of the wars we have fought since, not all, but most, have had the same mindset. Afghanistan. We sent our our Yanks into the valleys, into the mountains. You look at Joey Jones. What a remarkable human being on Fox. Lost both of his legs, IEDs. How many of our men fighting over there were killed? Going door to door. Why do we develop technology, and I'm not even talking about nuclear technology, even conventional technology that has the capacity to do damage for miles at a time and not use it? Is it righteous to lose a war? Is it righteous to substitute an American for a terrorist? I'm sick and tired of this proportionality, legal or not. I'm sick and tired of it. Victory. The word victory is never used. Wasn't used by Biden today. Biden clearly is not doing everything he can, and I'm not talking about introducing troops, obviously, but he clearly isn't doing everything he can. He armed this enemy with tens of billions of dollars, knowing damn well. We just had a judge rule in the American First legal case, which I'm proud to say 
my wife worked on with other great lawyers at that organization, just tonight, basically ruled the Taylor Force Act was violated because some of those funds went to terrorism. Does it get any more damnable than that? I'll bet you the, I'm, I'm the only one talking about it. I'll bet you it won't be on a single cable show. Unless I bring it up. And it'll be on every cable show. But anyway. You can't win a war when you're exchanging your own troops. For whatever the enemy decides. We know this enemy. Wants civilians killed. They're Nazis. They're terrorists. This is what they've done in every one of these battles. But this battle's different. This wasn't a battle you know, to push back the Israelis or this side or the... This was a battle to destroy an entire country and wipe out an entire people. And you see what they would do if they could. And of course, the Mufti, the Palestinian Mufti of Jerusalem in the 30s and 40s was an ally of Hitler's. He contributed 5,000 Palestinians to World War II in the effort to defeat America and destroy Jews. And he met with Hitler once, but he met with his lieutenants frequently. We have people in the streets who are celebrating the decapitation of babies because they're Jews. None of these videos affect them. None. The girls screaming who are being taken off or taken to Gaza right in front of our eyes. And I'm supposed to, what, shed crocodile tears for what's going to happen to these people? I'm not. Maybe I'm the only one who will voice it, but I'm not. Israel has every right to throw every damn thing it has at barbarians. And if there are innocent people, quote-unquote civilians who are killed then maybe they ought to organize to take out the government they elected. But it's not Israel's responsibility to accommodate the media, to accommodate the citizens that voted for Hamas, or to allow Hamas to get away with what it always gets away with. Not now. And after I'm the last voice on earth, and I won't be, Whatever they have to do, they have to do, and I will defend it. How many of you have these sleepless nights or these thoughts before you go to bed about what's going on there? Really righteous people do. Some people just turn it off. They want to watch something else, you know. It's hard to watch, but it's going on. We have a very weak president. We have a country that has used student visas and other immigration policies to allow people into our country who hate us. We're rooting for another Holocaust. What a disaster. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
It's a pleasure to have with me my friend Brett Bear, head muckety-mucka news over there at Fox. How are you, Brett? Hey, Mark. How are you? Well, let me say this to you. I really mean this. Sometimes I'm critical of our own. Fox has, far and above all other news organizations, done a tremendous job bringing the truth and the facts of what's taken place in Israel to the American people. And the news department, you and Martha in particular, and Trey, have really been second to none. And I imagine when you watch these things, it turns your stomach. It's probably hard to sleep at night. That's what I'm finding. These video images put out mostly by Hamas and the acts and the atrocities. I mean, how do you deal with this? Yeah, Mark, it's true. And, um, you know, I did two hours with Dana this morning and uh, then did my show. But seeing it real time and a lot of this stuff comes in as you're anchoring uh, and digesting actual reports where uh, reporters are on the ground talking to commanders about finding a kibbutz with babies, you know, 40 babies killed, uh, some of them beheaded. That's not fake stuff. I mean, we confirm it on the ground. We and and the the videos and the wrenching testimonials of of family members who have missing people who are believed to be held hostage in Gaza. Um, it is tough and it takes a toll. It's visceral. And so I think you have to express that and you have to take a deep breath and be able to cover it in a fair way, but also face the horribleness. The It's not really a word, but the depravity of it so that people understand what we're watching. And we're watching something that, as you've said before, is Nazis, you know, exponentially it is it is the second holocaust and i've read your stuff and i think you're right on after having anchored hours at a time and yet there are elements in our country in our college campuses honestly within the democrat party who see the same thing we're seeing and go from non-committal in terms of outrage to blaming israel to calling for the obliteration of jews In our own country. I mean, I don't remember that during the Holocaust, or at least reading about it during the Holocaust. This is pretty shocking how many people, particularly young people in this country, are of this mindset, is it not? It is, and that's why I think it's so important to tell those stories from the ground. I mean, this is not military on military. This is not just tit for tat. This is not the long battles that we've seen back and forth. This is civilians, families, kids, babies. Um, That's a different level. And so we have a duty to show it. And, you know, maybe some of those people have a a change of mind after they see it. One more question, because I want to get to your fantastic book, too. The administration says that they all support Israel, come hell or high water. Yet an assistant national security advisor several hours back talked about proportionality. The response needs to be proportionate. My wife says to me, what, the Israelis have to rape and maim and decapitate? That's proportionate. In other words, this is absurd. Why don't we let the Israelis do what they have to do? They're a humane people. They have a democratic government. They're facing annihilation. I don't remember people telling us what to do after 9-11. We were in Afghanistan for 21 years. 
this mm-hmm. is problematic as far as I'm concerned. You either you're either going to have to defeat an enemy. You're not going to defeat an enemy, and you're going to have your soldiers go door to door to door, get whacked one after another. That's a tiny country. And then there's Hezbollah sitting there. There's Syria sitting there. Of course, the big one, Iran, is sitting there. Do we really expect Israel to fight this with hands tied behind its back? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think this is going to be the challenge, because what's going to happen is Israel is going to do what it sees fit. And that includes annihilating and eliminating Hamas, which is going to be a very ugly public process. Uh, And letting Israel do that without weighing in or somehow hindering it anyway, uh, I think is going to be the challenge not only for the U.S. administration, shouldn't be, but it will be, and also for countries in the region. Uh, So the next I would say weak, but listen, to be honest, this is going to be weeks on weeks. I had the Israeli ambassador to the U.N. on tonight, and uh, he was very blunt and said they're going to do what they have to do, uh, but it's going to take a long time. I also want to thank you for your outstanding interview with Kirby. I mean, he kept wiggling, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't let him out of the box there, and you kept saying, so wait a minute, that's not what I'm saying. Yes, we know that, but that's not what I'm saying. That's the kind of reporting I think the American people need. I want to get to your book. Because it actually relates, and I think Americans can identify with this. It is a fantastic book. You sent me an early copy. I read it. I'm sort of a uh, self-made historian in many ways, a constitutionalist. To rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. Well, let me ask you. George Washington faced a hell of a lot of challenges. What kind of general was he? You know, he answered the call every time. He was a reluctant uh, leader. He answered the call as a military man. Uh, He would go on to be the commander of the Continental Army. Uh, He led them, uh, which was a tough group. The soldiers, he called when he first saw them, exceedingly dirty and nasty. However, he, he inspired them and fought beside them beside them and, and inspired leadership. He built them up, kept them going and convinced they could win, convinced them they could win. Um, he went on after the victory uh, to be called up again. All he wanted to do was go home to Mount Vernon and be with his wife, Martha. Uh, but he was called up again because the country was falling apart and the colonies were battling each other. It's actually one of the most divided and dangerous times of the era. The fractures are so great that a lot of the country feels like maybe we should go back to British rule. Uh, That's when the Constitutional Convention starts in Philadelphia, starts to rework the Articles of Confederation, and then they decide, you know what, that's not going to work. We've got to start over. And, And George Washington is the figure that holds it all together as a as uh, embodiment of what the document ends up being, the greatest legal document that provides liberty to any country. I want you to stay with us because we're going to have a break soon. But my question is this. Do you consider George Washington the greatest president or one of the greatest presidents, maybe one of the two greatest presidents in American history? And why? What was it about this man and his character and his capabilities He was able to lead the army, win the revolution, lead the nation, and then retire and go home. What was it about this man? The book is To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. I encourage you to get it. 
We will link to it on all my social platforms so you can just grab it real fast. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Liberty's voice, Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. The Revolutionary War was a brutal, brutal war. Thousands of American colonists, militia soldiers died on the prisoner ships parked outside of New York from dysentery, from eating rancid food and God knows what else. In fact, almost half of the deaths that occurred during the Revolutionary War occurred in those prison boats. And as my friend Brett Baer writes, Washington had to fight through all this. He didn't have a lot of victories. He had a very small professional army compared to the militia he had. And he had to keep them together. He had to keep them in fighting order. He had to win key battles. And so my question to you, Brett Baer, is do you consider him, subsequent to all of this, helping keep the nation together, the greatest president in American history is certainly one of them? Definitely. I mean, listen, he was called to serve, first president. Imagine what it's like for him. There is no model. There, no one left him a note in the desk telling him what to do. No one passed him the torch. I mean, he was the torch. So every aspect of the presidency really had to be invented a new and he would create this executive to what it is today. But his biggest, maybe most significant action was when he left after two terms. There was no prescribed limit on how long a president could serve. And and so he didn't declare himself indispensable. And this was the peaceful transition of power. You know, Mark, there's this uh, story after John Adams is inaugurated, second president, they're heading out of the room and Adams stands back to allow Washington to go first. And Washington turns to him and motions Adam forward and says, you're the president now. And, you know, everything I researched about this man suggests that he was the reason that the country stayed together. He was the reason that it was founded the way it was founded. These are not, you know, just stories made up. These are in diaries, in in little nuggets that we call them in the history books uh, and in, in the archives. And so, yes, I think he's definitely the best. Um, I, I look to others. Ulysses S. Grant kept us together and prevented mm-hmm. the Second Civil War. I think Reagan was a fantastic president and a communicator. I think mm-hmm. um, Dwight Eisenhower was overlooked as a president that history will look back at and say he kept us peaceful during the Cold War. And Washington had a hell of a cabinet. 
he had some really big egos there, didn't he? First of all, Adams is vice president. He has Jefferson in there and Hamilton who hate each other's guts. Yeah. And, in and in addition he, to all that, Jefferson was really aligned with the French. Hamilton really aligned with the British. They were going at war, that is, the French and the British. You write all this stuff. They're leaking to the media to try and sort of undermine each other. And Washington had to deal with all of this, right? It, was, it wasn't just smooth going as president of the United States. No, far from it. Uh, he had troubles. He was not perfect, uh, made mistakes. He conceded. Uh, there was still a battle for dominance between federal power and states' rights. I mean, that's still a battle today. And, you know, Mark, in the big picture of, of this book about the Constitution, and there's a lot of people that question, it doesn't work today. Um, it was far from perfect. Uh, it, was, it wasn't. Um, but you look at that document and the process of constitutional amendments, 27 of them, first 10, obviously, Bill of Rights. But you, you look at, say, how would we do it today? And, yeah, you could make tweaks, changes. But for the most part, as you know more than anybody, the Constitution is the greatest legal document ever mm -hmm. written. Ever written. They borrowed from philosophers of the past. They saw what countries failed, what countries succeeded. And you know, Brett Baer, it's self-correcting. Now, not on a whim, not with a faction or a simple majority, but ultimately it's self-correcting, and it has been corrected. But it was also, you know, Brett Baer knows this. Folks, get his book. It is a tremendous book. I know these are very difficult times right now, but every now and then you got to take a little break to rescue the Constitution, George Washington, the fragile American experiment. Nobody supported the Constitution more in 1852 than Frederick Douglass, really the leading abolitionist and uh, escaped slave and so forth and so on. And he said of the Constitution, the Constitution doesn't promote slavery. We need virtuous people to execute what the Constitution says. That's kind of what you write in this book, too. The Constitution's not perfect. But the biggest problem is you have to have people who believe in it, who are going to truly support their oath to it, their allegiance to it. And sometimes today we have people who say they do, but they really don't. But, but Washington was all those things, wasn't he? He was. And listen, I, I came to the end of this process, and, and uh, you know, I've, this is the fifth in the presidential books, and, and your books are great. We're talking about them, and I'm trying to do it in a soda straw look at a moment in history, and in a narrative way that's readable, especially for younger generation. Because I, I, and we've talked about this before, Mark, but I really believe that young people are not getting our history of who we are as a country. Mm -hmm. So, but I have to say, at the end of this process, I, I, researching, writing it. It, it gave me a sense of hope, you know, not because mm -hmm. the birth of, of our nation was so smooth, but because it wasn't smooth. And the dissent is built in the cake. It's baked in. And so mm -hmm. is the union and trying to find a mix between dissent and union. And really, that is what Washington taught us. And when you and your, your folks do the research and you write the book and you edit the book and you finish the book, because this mm -hmm. happens with me, too. And here you have this book. It's a fantastic book, ladies and gentlemen. You say to yourself sometimes, all right, this is really good. And sometimes you say, 
I wonder what the reader will think. So when you finished this book, what did you conclude? Listen, I've been through this process. The first one took three and a half years. And uh, each one since has been about a year and a half because I I got the blueprint. I have a great team, researcher, co-author. We bounce back and forth. But at the end of this book, I was actually the most proud of this one. You know, I use the beginning and end to talk about current times and mm-hmm. things that we're facing now. But I think if somebody reads this book, you just get a sense of who we are at the very, very beginning. And I just think that's important for the big pendulum that we face every day. Um, mm-hmm. And listen, we fight these battles every day about what's right and wrong. Uh, but if we go back to our founding fathers, they had a pretty good sense of things. So when you saw, as a journalist, and I tell people journalists can be patriotic, you know. Uh, Not all are, but you certainly are. Um, When you saw monuments coming down, including the desecration of George Washington, Lincoln, and others, I guess what you felt was, my God, these people don't know history at all, do they? What what were you thinking? It's sad so sad. You know, I I saw that happen as I was writing my last book, To Rescue the Republic, about Ulysses S. Grant. And I actually start the book with a a frame of watching this television um, report out of San Francisco, where a statue of Ulysses S. Grant was being taken down. Um, They said because he owned slaves. You know, he did more as a president for mm-hmm. blacks, the black community, for fighting um, slavery, for going after the KKK than arguably any president. Mm-hmm. And yet here he was being taken down. Um, George Washington, you know, removed from school names. And after you, you know, if you read this book of all that he did, they knew that the slavery issue was wrong. They just couldn't deal with it at the time. They were trying to start the country. But they knew, you know, inherently that here is a document providing liberty. So you were going to say that one man is three-fifths of a man. They knew there was a problem, but they wanted to get the country moving. And um, so I think our history can tell us a lot. And, and yeah, I felt sad when I saw those statues going down. By the way, no other country. Frankly. Angry, yeah. No other countries fought a civil war to end slavery. There's not another one on the face of the earth. And slavery still goes on in the world, in the Middle East and Africa and other parts of the world, which nobody pays any attention to. Um, but I want to tell you something. I want something. to ask you this, one question, Mark. I yes, want to sir. ask you one question. At the yes, end sir. of the book, there is this uh, experiment with a progressive group, a conservative group, and a libertarian group. And mm-hmm. they say, okay, write a constitution. Yeah. And, and they basically come back with the same document. Libertarians say, you know, leave the document as it is, but then at the end put, we mean it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the progressives say the electoral college is a problem, we're going to make some tweaks, but for the most part, it's the same document. And the conservatives say there are some problems here. Executive power is not clearly defined, but it's the same document. You know, if we had a constitutional convention, and you've talked about this, what do you think would come out today? Mm -hmm. 
I don't think they could agree on where to meet right now, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. That's a whole other yeah. story. Brett, you're a good friend. Yeah. You really are. People don't know we talk often enough. Yep. And uh, he tries to set me straight, you know. But anyway, no, he's good. The other way around. No, I'm just kidding. And um, I want to encourage you to rescue the Constitution, George Washington, and the fragile American experiment. I cannot recommend it strongly enough. It's on Amazon. It's discounted. It should be in every major bookstore. It just came out the other day. It's unfortunate it came out now, but there's no control over that. But you can still order it, still have it, still gift it during the holidays and so forth. And it is a refreshing, truly historical account, things I didn't know about the great George Washington. Great job, Brett Bear. God bless you, my friend. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. All right, you take care of yourself. I know how much work goes into a book. And I know it's sad that it comes out at like a time like this. It's the nature of the beast. We can't control that. And you haven't heard me talking much about my book. <clears throat> because there are priorities. But when you watch the news on TV, there's still commercials, there's still sponsors. Things have to continue. Uh, but there are priorities. And this is a fantastic book. To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. You can link right on my social sites there, where we have it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I was watching on the TV not too long ago where one host said to another that, well, Donald Trump has been called a Nazi over and over again. And the response from the person was, oh, really? When? Well, repeatedly. Nazi, neo-Nazi, Nazi-like, Hitler, Hitler-like. On most of the reprobate cable channels, CNN and MSNBC, but especially at MSNBC. But whatever you do, don't call the Nazis, that is the Palestinian terrorists, Nazis. Don't call them Hitlerian. Save that for Trump and these extreme MAGA Republicans. Remember how the Democrats would accuse Donald Trump of putting little kids in cages? Remember AOC accused them of that? Which, of course, he didn't do. They're trying to sort out who their real parents were because, amazingly enough, there weren't papers. And yet, some of these same individuals, the Democratic Socialists, AOC. They feign. They feign concern about the slaughter of little babies and kids that have taken place in the Middle East with their mealy mouth quizzling language. All right, folks, there's always tomorrow. Well, not always, but hopefully. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our truckers, freedom fighters, our brothers and sisters in Israel, and all the men and women trying to save them. See you on Hannity.